Hello, this is episode 222 and in it, I'm going to be doing an update to one of year two's most popular episodes and continuing our celebration of five years on the Get It Right podcast. So in the last episode, I shared a reboot of the most popular episode from year two of the podcast and it was from season five. It was episode three from season five. Now, season five was called The Mistakes Many Make and the episode was called The Most Underestimated Mistake When Building or Renovating Your Home. In it, I actually shared what that underestimated mistake was. Plus, I gave you two more mistakes I see homeowners underestimating and I shared three sanity savers as well. And I took you through some research that House had carried out at the time into renovations and relationships, which was really interesting as well. So if you haven't listened to the reboot of that episode uh, or if you've never listened to that episode before, it's definitely worth checking it out. And you can find that at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 221. That's the numbers 221. And there's a free downloadable transcript there as well. Now in this episode, episode 222, I'm going to be giving you some seriously actionable information that will not only help you stay sane during your reno or new build project, it's also going to help you be a good project manager as well. And you can grab a full transcript of this episode, 222, as a free PDF download too. So I've got loads of uh, really helpful links for this one. So uh, head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 222. That's the numbers 222. And there's uh, some really helpful information there. You can grab the free download and you can then file it away so you can review and refer back to it later. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great, and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated, and empowered as you design, build, or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. 
take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Many homeowners, when embarking on their project journey, they don't actually think of themselves as a project manager. However, renovating a building involves so many moving parts, steps, people and processes that as the person or the people who are funding it all and wanting it all to happen, this is what you usually are. You're your own project manager. And you can choose to not be a project manager if you wish. You can actually decide to do this for part or for all of your project. Now, I mentioned someone in the previous episode who recognised that she didn't think she could and she really didn't want to actually have difficult conversations with her builder during construction. So she actually hired a project manager to be her representative on site and to have those difficult conversations so she didn't have to. She'd still visit site and she'd review the home regularly during construction, but if there were questions or concerns or disappointments, they all went via the project manager. Now, you can do this on a bigger scale as well. There are lots of really accomplished project managers operating in the residential construction industry who will coordinate all the work, people and processes involved in your project from its earliest initiation and ideation right through to completion. Now, in season 10 of the podcast, I actually interviewed project manager Rai Arai Coop from Bluebird Property Partners about how a project manager can help. And I've got lots of other resources on uh, the podcast and on the blog when it comes to project management that I'll list in the podcast resources for you if you want to check those out. Working with a project manager, it actually can be really helpful because they'll project manage you as much as they'll project manage your project. They'll tell you, you know, when they'll let you know when decisions need to be made, they'll, uh, when money needs to be spent, when people need to be found, when steps need to be taken. However, It requires you choosing someone that you can have a huge amount of trust in because they do really become your guide and your representative in your project, often making a lot of decisions on your behalf and sifting and filtering the information that they send your way. Now, this may also not be a project manager per se. Some architects actually offer this scope of services as part of working with them. But what happens if you're not hiring a project manager or an architect who's going to be with you for the entirety of your project? And I mean right from the very, very earliest phases through to seeing the builder leave site and managing all of your defects and all of those kinds of things, even post-construction. What happens if you're not hiring somebody to chaperone you through that entire process? Then you're actually going to be the one coordinating things for the duration of your project. You are going to be your own project manager. And whilst this idea freaks out some people, I find that it's actually better to try and embrace this idea and get yourself prepared for it and well prepped. So when projects go pear-shaped, it's when homeowners don't actually realise that they have to be the one coordinating the steps between, facilitating the conversations and the communication between different team members and understanding their overall project journey and scope so that things don't fall in the cracks, get missed or cause issues overall. Part of being a good project manager is having the ability to stay really well organised and be able to lay your hands on information you need in a timely manner in order to keep things running smoothly. And then also having enough know-how so that you can confidently navigate the steps ahead and coordinate the people and the processes that you need to along the way. Now to help you do this, I've got 10 tips that I'm going to be sharing in this podcast on how to be a good project manager. And as we go through, I'll also mention where there's other resources available if you want to dive into things in more detail. So let's jump in and kick off with looking at your organisational skills and structures. My tip number one is organise your digital files. So when it comes to your project, now more than ever, you're going to be doing a lot of it online. A lot of your correspondence will be online, plus there's the opportunity to be doing a lot of research, 
to review and to save ideas, materials and products and you can even purchase various uh, things online as well. So I actually suggest setting up a dedicated email account for your project so that you can compartmentalise all of your project correspondence in one location and not have it getting lost in your general inbox. And that also means that you can share that account with your partner if you're both involved in your project planning so that you'll then both be across all of your correspondence and discussion on your project rather than CCing everybody in all the time. Now, once you have this specific email address, you can also use it for all your logins to any online resources you're accessing. So I've actually seen people's project email address crop up um, when they've signed up for things at Undercover Architect. You can, of course, use it to create your house and your Pinterest accounts to save all of those inspirational images and ideas. Now, you may even wish to take this further. Many will actually set up an Instagram account for their project, a private or a public one, um, so that they can share their progress and they can also save images and ideas and information within that Instagram account as well. So if you're a member of the UA community or of one of my online, um, you're one of my online course members or you're definitely if you're a member of the home method um, and you actually have a project Instagram account, make sure you tag me when you post. I really love seeing your updates and your progress. It's, um, it's just so fantastic to see. Now, I'd love you to also have a look at your general file storage uh, using a Google Drive or a Dropbox or something similar so that you can have cloud-based storage is really useful. Depending on who you're working with, you may actually find that they have their own means for sending large files. But if you're wanting to send photos or marked up drawings or other large files, you may actually find that you hit the limits of your email account pretty quickly in terms of what you can send over email and you'll instead need to be sending links from cloud storage uh, locations instead. Now with all of these online tools, you're gonna have a lot of passwords <laughs> and um, there are some great tech tools that you can use to keep track of your passwords. My personal favorite is one called LastPass uh, because it actually enables you to share passwords with others without having them see what your passwords are. You can still give them access uh, to, your, uh, to your various logins and they don't have to see your password. Now, when it comes to the actual filing of all of your digital content, structuring it into boxes in your computer and things like that so that you know where everything is, it can actually be confusing to figure out your filing structure overall. Whatever you do, keep it simple, okay? Edit uh, your folder and your file names to make them really easily searchable for yourself. You can break them. To, you can break down your files into something as simple as the phases of a project, which you've heard me talk about before, if you've listened to the podcast or you know, followed Undercover Architect for any time. Those four phases are pre-design, design, pre-build pre and build. And they're a pretty simple structure to start with your digital files. Um, or you, you can choose to create your own, of course. Now, I remember my boss uh, in, in my first architectural job, his name was Peter Tonkin. He used to tell me that he wasn't losing his memory. We used to tease him when he'd forget stuff. Um, he said he just needed a find file function from his, for his brain. He was a super, super, he is a super, super clever man. And, uh, you know, I think we can all relate. This find file would be very handy in our memory. I often joke that, you know, if I need to remember anything that happened before I had babies, um, it's going to be locked away in a part of my brain that can take quite a while to grab information from and the results aren't always guaranteed. So when it comes to your project, you're literally not going to be able to keep track of everything mentally. You're not going to remember everything that you need to. It's a lot of information over a long period of time and you'll be juggling all of that with all of the other things that you're trying to remember in your everyday life that are going to take priority as well. So make sure you set up a well-organized and ordered digital system so that you can just find your files really easily, find that, that information when you need to. 
So when you save things, especially when it comes to your drawing revisions, for example, uh, contract information or anything legal, it can actually be really good to put a date in the file name. Uh, and I do this by actually using reverse chronological order in the date numbers so that they always then stack in order in my filing system on my computer. And I write the date in six digits um, and always at the beginning of the file name so that then it enables those files and folders to be stacked in chronological order. So what that means is uh, you'll have six digits. Um, so for example, the, the date of the 3rd of December, 2021, for example, um, that would appear in the file name as 211203. So 21 for the year. So the year goes first. 2021 is 21. 12 for the month, that goes next. And then 03 for the day. You always have six digits. And that is a file naming protocol I learned uh, a long time ago in a very large, uh, when I worked in a very, very large company where everybody was saving things to the same place. So um, it works really, really well because everything then stacks in date order um, rather than you having the date on the end of a file name. And it'll make it much easier for you to locate files when you're looking for them over a time period or you want to align them with something specific in a stage in your project. It's really, really helpful. Now, if you're using digital notes or something similar on your phone, I really recommend you create one location where they're all stored so that you can find them easily and search through them easily as well. So an app like Evernote or something similar um, can actually be really useful in situations like this because it'll organise all of your information a little bit more effectively and make it more easily searchable rather than you just having a bunch of notes uh, saved in your phone that are then hard to locate again once you need them. You have to remember what you titled them, all of those kinds of things. I really encourage you to avoid corresponding with people about or during your project using something like WhatsApp or your, you know, text messaging, your SMS, um, because you'll find that incredibly hard to track down previous correspondence when you need to or to search through it when you need to as well. Okay, now my tip number two is to organise your hard copy files. All right, so of course, makes sense. Do your digital files and do your hard copy files as well. I actually remember working in an architectural office in my early 20s when email was just starting to be used and there was a lot of excitement about becoming a paperless office. And that act, that excitement actually continued, you know, as we started getting these big, you know, electronic transmittal systems where we could send huge volumes of and packages of drawings to a, ma a massive range of people all via a dedicated system that um, the company I had worked for. And we just thought, you know, isn't it going to be brilliant when we're paperless? That's just going to be amazing. Don't go getting so excited. You know, we're still surrounded by loads of paper, um, even though we have even more technology, even more simpler ways of, uh, of sending information uh, to each other electronically. Um, and we still do get so many things as hard copy files. And, you know, I, um, this may be because I'm old school, but there's certain things that I actually just need to print something out in order to feel like I'm able to review it thoroughly and really uh, digest it and um, and be able to then give feedback on it. Now, so you might find that that's the same for you. And you might also find that you're just collecting lots of hard copy files and paperwork as you move through your project journey. You also may have old records, you know, council records or searches that you've done or other files, old drawings that you have a hard copy of and you need to refer back to. And you may also be collecting samples and product brochures for a long, long time before you're actually needing to make those choices and selections in your project. And so you've got a big collection of those as well. And perhaps you've also been saving magazine clippings and images and ideas for some time and you've got, you know, those floating around. So it's really um, worthwhile that you create some kind of filing system for this 
and the phases of your project again that can be a really simple way to uh, get started on creating some sort of structure to your uh, hard copy filing system so those four stages were pre-design design pre-build and build now if you're somebody who takes notes I really do recommend you do yourself a favor and you purchase a project dedicated notebook and then you just start carrying that with you everywhere if you collect business cards, then stick them in that notebook, okay, and put a note there of whose card it was, what was the product or service that they supplied, or write that information on the card itself, but actually stick it in the notebook so it doesn't go floating about, you know, fall out, you lose it. And that way, if it's written down and it's marked on either the business card or, or next to it where you've stuck it down, you're not going to be relying on your memory to recall why you picked up that business card and who that person was, if you're collecting samples, uh, stick a business card or a note on the back of them so that you can then remember where you got the sample from, the product name or the number, you know, and the contact details of the company as well. So when it then comes to making your selections maybe way down the track, you'll have the details that you'll need and you can then also check in to make sure that that, that product is still supplied, that it hasn't been discontinued and if any of the details have changed in regards to that product. Don't use post-it notes for this, okay? Trust me, <laughs> I speak from experience. Don't use post-it notes, they just fall off. Um, over time, they just fall off. So put all of your samples actually into a container together um, and you can stick their information to the back or you can just use a rubber band to um, wrap a piece of paper around them as well that's got all of that information um, written down on it. I recommend that you make file notes of uh, conversations, of specific action steps or significant ideas um, that you've got then in your hard copy records. And it can be as simple as a diary note, you know, add it in your notebook, something like that, um, where you've got the date, uh, who that conversation was with, notes about the conversation and then the specific actions or outcomes that were agreed upon as a result of that conversation. You are going to go a long way to protect your future self by having these things written down uh, somewhere that you can then refer back to um, if you should need to. Now, the last tip about your hard copy files is this one. I recommend that you create a contact list and uh, have this as a central document with all of your main project details on it as well. Now, this is really good to actually have as a hard copy stuck in the front of your notebook or on the front of your digital files folder. Um, and you can also then have one in your digital records as well, you know, just in your on your um, online records. Um, but having a hard copy one is super helpful. And I recommend that it includes, you know, your team's various names. So any consultants that you're hiring, their numbers, their email addresses, their company names, any other contact information that you have for them. Uh, the contact details of anyone that you might want to recall later. So it might be that you've met suppliers or various industry professionals um, that you may have been connecting with. Depending on where you are in your project, you might still not be, you know, you might still not have chosen your architect or your designer. But keeping a record of these people somewhere written down that's not just digital can be really handy. And then you want things like your project details as well. So things like your obviously your address, your lot and your RP number, the council area that you're in, any summary information that you might have collected, you know, like your zoning, your planning overlays, just the summaries of things that you think might be helpful that you could potentially be getting asked lots of questions about as you move through your project journey. So just so you've got them there to refer to really easily. I find that having all of these things filed on your phone, you know, like if you've got contact numbers and, you know, people's names in your phone, that can be handy, but it's, you then actually have to remember the name of that person or their company name when you're wanting to call them. 
um, in order to be able to find their details and their contact number. And I've found that that can sometimes be the tricky part, especially if you haven't known them for that long or depending where you're at in your project, you've been speaking to a lot of different people. Um, it's that recall thing again. So if you can actually have a hard copy um, that you can just scan your finger down, that actually makes it really easily accessible for you and it can be much more helpful in supporting you overall. Tip number three is understand the steps ahead. Now, I'm not going to dwell a long time on this because I've spoken about this a lot and there are some great and more in-depth resources on Undercover Architect to help you with this. I'll pop some links in the podcast notes for you if you want to check them out. And of course, I have the whole flagship program, Home Method, which literally takes you through the steps that are involved in your project and teaches you the detail of them. Now, you know, though, that understanding the steps ahead is going to be important because if you're heading on a a journey to a place that you've never been before, then you know that it's going to be best to check out a map to understand what the best route is to get there. And if there's money and there's time and there's kids involved, then it's an even better idea to work out the best route to wherever your destination is and to get yourself prepared for that journey. Renovating and building is very much like any other kind of road trip. It's a journey, though, that can take a minimum of 12 months, sometimes even longer, sometimes two or even three years, depending on what your project is and where it's located. And when you actually understand the overall journey and the steps that are, you know, involved, then you're able to be much more strategic about where you spend your time, your effort and your money. And you can see where you're going to need help and where you, uh, you just have things covered. And then you'll be able to plan the rest of your life around your project as well. Remember I said in the last episode that one of the mistakes people make is that they just don't make space in their life in order to do their project. A reno or a new build, it just isn't something that you can slip in the gaps and the cracks of your existing life. You really do need to treat it like the project that it is. And by being able to see the whole picture... Uh, before you actually dive into it with all of your hopes and your dreams and your finances in tow, then you're going to be able to navigate it all much more confidently and strategically. Tip number four is to stay on top of the timeline and the budget. It's definitely useful to have an understanding of both time and money when it comes to you project managing your reno or your new build. And money and time are definitely linked to each other in any reno or new build project. You can spend money to save time and you can spend time to save money. And in the same instance, taking longer will not necessarily save you money. Prices in the construction industry do move and doing a project now costs more than it did 12 months ago. And that's the case in any time. You know, spending more money is not necessarily going to save you more time either, especially if you're not spending it in the right places. However, I really recommend that you have your eyes on both your timeline and your budget because this is really necessary for feeling in control and staying on top of your project progress. Both time and uh, budget, they're the currencies of your project and it's really worth thinking about them like that. Get into a habit from the outset of your project planning to collect data on time and budget. Understand too that it's going to be an iterative process for you to determine the timeline and the budget for your project. What do I mean by this? Well, how long your project will take and what it will cost will be dependent on what you're planning to do and the specifics of your site and location. And you can find that as you figure out what you want to do, that the time and the budget input may change then what you actually decide you're going to do. And you'll find that you need to revisit and review and change tack as you go. So just be sure that as you hone in on the details of your project, that time and budget are always along for the ride and that they're part of all of the conversations that you're having with your project team. 
Ask any professionals that you're speaking to whether your timeline and your budget is actually realistic. You know, get their input, which will be based on their experience with projects like yours in locations like yours. When you're speaking with people who need to come back to you with an answer or more information, ask them, when can I expect to hear from you? So that you then actually know when you can follow up with them if you don't hear from them in a timely fashion. Be proactive in discussing time and budget and then you can use a range of tools to collect this information for yourself, be it in your own program or schedule or uh, and your budget could be in a budget tracker or a spreadsheet. Don't though, please don't think that you have to do this all on your own. Any professional project manager, the way that they do this is they'd actually be pushing all of their team members to commit to timeframes and budgets and then to supply them back as the project manager with an overall view of the project that they then pull together. You know, what they're ultimately doing as the project manager is that they're getting their team members to be accountable for their own commitments. And then they're having, they're creating the ability to be able to track them against their promises and their commitments. So if you can think like this, it's super helpful. Don't, just don't try and do it all yourself. I really encourage you to ask your designer to, to put a timeline together to show you how your project design, approvals and documentation stages are all going to travel. What's the timeline involved and what does it look like? Then you can prepare and plan when you're going to need pro- to provide input or when specific activities will be happening in your project journey. Make sure you work with a builder who also puts together a program or a schedule for construction so that you can understand how your build phase will progress and you'll know then when payments are expected and milestones will be reached. If you're wishy-washy about time and budget, then you can expect them both to blow out. Manage them diligently alongside the rest of your project processes. Tip number five is manage your expectations. One of the challenges of being a homeowner doing this for the first time is that it's very difficult to know what to expect. And I see homeowners especially having unrealistic expectations in their budgets and timelines, which is why I mentioned it as tip number four. You know, what I find is homeowners are often expecting their project to cost half as much and take half as long as it will in reality. On the other hand, though, they can assume that things are going to happen that won't, uh, that, you know, a specific professional will take care of everything when it's not actually in their scope of works or part of their role. Or they also assume that their project will stay on budget even when it's not being discussed on a regular basis. I find that homeowners can also assume that the whole experience is most likely to be a stress-filled ride that they need to brace themselves for, instead of the enjoyable experience that it can be when you've got the right people, processes and mindset in place. So as part of being your own project manager, do what you can to manage your expectations. Now, a great way to do this is to ensure that you choose team members who are frank and open with you in their communication and see their obligations in managing your expectations as well and really helping to educate you in your project experience. Getting yourself educated about what to expect, of course, is also important. And this way you can know when you're expecting too much and setting yourself up for disappointment or when you can actually drive a better outcome and not settle for mediocrity. I find that I'm often having conversations with homeowners where they're wondering what's normal or whether it's usual for a person or a process to be going a certain way or taking a period of time to do something. It's really hard when you're not in the industry to know what's reasonable and what's not. And I see homeowners get a gut feel for something and then not know whether to trust it because they just don't have experience in it and they don't know if their expectations are unreasonable. So put yourself in a position throughout your project where you can access impartial and trusted industry information to help you manage your expectations for your project and be realistic about its progress and its processes. You know, this may be through your team structure or it could be through the personal research and learning that you're doing. It's really useful for keeping a level head 
and knowing when you can push for a better outcome. Part of this is also going to be managing your own mindset. And so I'm going to point you to the fantastic conversation that I had with Lisa Kordoff about the stories that we tell ourselves that can sabotage our own project journeys and so much more actually. So you can find that at episode 195, 195, and you can um, find it when you, ed- you, when you head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 195. That's the numbers 195. So make sure you listen to that conversation. It's really fantastic insight into your project mindset and your mindset generally. I'd also encourage you to have a listen to season nine of the podcast, which is called Keeping It Real. That's definitely going to help you manage your expectations and have a realistic understanding of what renovating and building is like and what it might feel like mentally, emotionally and physically for you as well. And I'll pop a link to that season in the podcast notes and you can find season nine by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash season nine. That's all one word, but it's the number nine. So S-E-A-S-O-N, the number nine. Okay. Now, tip number six is to be clear on your capacity. Many homeowners actually underestimate the time it takes to navigate a reno or a new build. And they also assume that professionals will be able to work to their own personal timelines if they need them to. However, if you're dealing with architects, designers or builders for your project, please don't assume that they're going to be available outside of business hours for you to meet with them and discuss your project with them. Review what your capacity is in regards to your time and your general availability. Will you be able to have meetings during business hours? Will you be able to attend a weekly site meeting at a set time each week that may also potentially be during business hours? How can you arrange your schedule and your other commitments so that you can be available? And if you're not available, who will do it instead? If you're constantly the bottleneck in your own project and you don't have the capacity to do what's needed in a timely fashion on the schedules of the people that you're working with, then you're naturally going to slow your project progress down. And sometimes that can mean experiencing huge delays in your project because you'll be hopping in and out of other people's scheduled timelines whilst they juggle you with their other client commitments. Tip number seven is be honest about your skills. Now, I started this episode by reminding you about a woman whose story I shared on the rebooted episode, uh, which was episode 221. Now, she recognised very early on that she didn't think she was going to be able to have difficult conversations with her builder, so she hired someone to do that for her. Now, this woman is someone who actually has a job where she often has to have difficult conversations. But when it comes to something as personal as your home and your ambitions and dreams for your future, plus the amount of money that you're investing, those project conversations can feel very different to the ones that you have in your everyday life. It's also a terminology-rich industry that can feel confusing and bamboozling as well. So having an industry translator can actually be helpful if you feel that it's something that you're just not able to dive into sufficiently. This homeowner that I mentioned, she also knew that her time availability would be limited and so she set up a team to assist her with specific tasks that she knew would be super time consuming. So for example, she gave an interior designer a really clear brief on what she was looking for and instead of looking through 50 different tile samples, which she knew she just didn't have the time or the bandwidth for, um, she knew it would just send her spare, she uh, asked the interior designer based on my brief, you know, bring me three tiles to choose from. You know, so this can be a capacity thing, but it's also a discernment thing. I know personally as an architect that I have such better objectivity when it comes to finding finishes, materials and products for another person's project. Uh, I have loads of clarity when it comes with assisting uh, people to choose things that are in alignment with their budget and their brief. 
For my own projects though, it's always harder. It's more time consuming for me and it can be really challenging for me to access that same objectivity and to be able to make really quick decisions like I can for clients and for homeowners. Now, if you feel that you're not going to be able to access objectivity easily in your own project, then you may wish to get help with narrowing down your focus and having less to choose from as you make decisions in your project. And this leads me to my next tip uh, to be a good project manager. Now, tip number eight is consider who is on your team and what their roles are and when you are going to be needed in the workflow. If you're someone that hasn't done this before, and even if you have done it once or twice, your team is still going to be super critical for expanding your knowledge base and helping you avoid mistakes and generally streamline your project. Choose your team well and understand their roles and scope of work clearly because this will help you avoid double up or assuming that things are being done by someone else or you are necessarily paying for work that you don't need. Renovating and building is literally a team sport and best done as one. And time and time again, I hear from homeowners who said that the success of their project came down to them having the right team on board. When you pull together a great team, you tap into all that collective project knowledge, years of experience, exposure to their networks and a much richer understanding of how to realise the full potential of your budget, your project and your vision. Along with this, it's really important that you understand what your role is and where you're going to be needed in the workflow. If you want to be an active collaborator in your project journey, which I actually think gets the best results overall for anyone, then ask for your team to guide you. Great professionals know that they're the authority and the experienced team member and they see their role in educating you and meeting you where your needs are at. And then you can be guided by them and ensure that your vision is being realised because they listen to you and they ensure that your input is valued and expanded on. You don't have to control the whole thing or do the entire thing yourself in order to get exactly what you want in your future home. You just need to work with the right people and then know how to actively collaborate with them. Then you can actually loosen your grip and you can get really great enjoyment from sitting alongside people who do this every day as they guide you along your project journey. I'm going to point you to season four of the podcast for more information on the various professionals that you can use in your project, what they do and how they best work. So make sure that you listen to that season if you haven't. Tip number nine is manage your cash flow. Now, along with diligently managing your time and your budget, managing your cash flow is also essential. And it's a little bit different to managing your time and your budget. There's a few things to be aware of here. The first is Pay your bills on time. For the most part, the professionals and builders that you're working with will usually have already done the work by the time they charge you for it, which means that they're cash flowing your project whilst they wait for you to pay them for it. And in the residential design and construction industry, you're usually dealing with some small business owners who have their own homes as the collateral for their businesses. So getting paid on time, it's really, really important. I'm seeing more and more design professionals actually request and require some upfront payment in order to commence projects and specific stages in projects. And having been on both sides of the equation, I actually think this is a really good thing. Many designers have been burned by clients refusing to pay because they didn't like what the designer came up with once it was presented. And uh, that's why a lot of designers are requesting payment upfront because they've had fickle clients who then they've not been able to get money for the work that they've done having to have to pay up front as well, that's going to entirely change what you as a client will do. You'll be much more thorough and, and do much more effective research uh, into a professional before you decide to hand over your cash. And that to me can only be a good thing. It just means that you'll research things entirely differently if you know you need to pay up front. 
Now, the next thing is if any part of your project is being funded by a bank or by share sales or something where someone else is involved and you don't have the cash at hand, then be sure that you can still pay on time and you can process any invoices or progress claims as you're legally obligated to. If a bank stuffs you around in paying your builder on time, that's your problem, okay? It's not your builder's problem. Your contract is with the builder and then the bank's contract is with you. And the builder is well within their rights to invoke conditions in the contract for delayed payments if they're not getting paid on time. And many designers are now including interest payments for late settlements of their invoices as well. Make sure as well that you check all of the legal agreements that you have uh, for information about payments, cost uh, for delays, penalties when timelines are not met or you've got variations in, in time or cost, uh, termination agreements and penalty costs then, liquidated damages and interest payments. Be across all the aspects of how cash flow works in your project so that there's no surprises for you. My last tip and tip number 10 is to encourage and to conduct upfront communication. It is really useful to set the rules early for how communication needs to be handled in your project and to look for team members who communicate similarly to you and will be upfront and frank in their dealings with you. Communication or problems associated with it, it's, it's one of the biggest sources of litigation in the construction industry. It's an area that I see so many have issues with and it's an area I know I personally have to be super aware with. You know, my husband and I, we have very different communication styles to each other and so it's always really important we find that we have to clarify as the, under, as the other one understood what we've been trying to convey so that there's no assumptions or confusion that can cause problems down the track. Now, when it comes to our projects, we take things really, really personally and we can make things mean so much. So, for example, you know, I see this happen a lot. An unreturned email can mean that someone is super disorganized or, it, or they think that we're an annoying and total, you know, pain in the butt. And so that means that they don't want to work with us. That's why they haven't replied to our email. Alternatively, it can just mean that your email has hit their junk mail and they haven't seen it yet. You know, when you do take it personally, what I see most homeowners do is they make it mean something negative about themselves or their project, um, and, you know, and they also are negative then about their experience and how hard it has to be for them. And women in particular will do this. I know that though, like I do know, I know that there are loads of professionals out there who really do not do a good job of communicating. They're not clear. They're not organized. They're not managing their clients proactively. Their inboxes are a mess. They're not being diligent and they're seriously disorganized generally um, in how they handle their day-to-day -day work. And it drives me bonkers. It really does. You know, I feel like and I've said this before, I feel like we're being beaten down to accept mediocrity at every turn and to demand a really high standard from people really takes an effort. You know, it takes, a, it takes a lot of time and sometimes it takes kissing a lot of frogs as well. And this is really frustrating. I, I really, I know this. I live it in my daily life <laughs> and I know that I ask it of you as well. I ask you to have high standards for your project and for the people that you're working with. And unfortunately, that, that can mean that you do have to kiss a lot of frogs. People are really busy too. You know, the inboxes, we're busier and busier these days. It's a terrible, I hate the word busy, but there's just a lot. Life is full of a lot. We all juggle a lot. We have a very full plate, very full inboxes. And so sometimes it can take a lot to get somebody's attention. It's unfortunately, our attention spans are just being conditioned to be shorter and shorter. It's all very, very tricky stuff. So I just, when it's something as important as your home and the long-term investment that you're making, taking a bit longer to find the right person, the right company, the right process to have those higher standards. For me, it's 
always worth it. You know, dropping your standards uh, when you're frustrated or impatient, for me, that rarely ends well. I really encourage you to have a listen to episode 194 of the podcast if you do need help with communication because in it I actually teach you five modes of communication that I learned very early on from a um, from a, a coach that I found to be really effective and successful um, and you can use them with your project team and your progress overall and that episode's also available as a free PDF uh, transcript too that you can download. So you can grab that episode by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 194 that's the numbers 194 now that's it for my 10 tips on how to be a good project manager so I'm going to run through those tips again so that you've got the summary so number one organize your digital files number two organize your hard copy files number three understand the steps ahead number four stay on top of the timeline and the budget number five manage your expectations Number six, be clear on your capacity. Number seven, be honest about your skills. Number eight, consider who is on your team and what their roles are and when you are needed in the workflow. Number nine is manage your cash flow. And number 10 is encourage and conduct upfront communication. Now, lastly, I want to mention this about being your own project manager. Many homeowners actually shy away from this idea of project management because it all sounds so technical and if you don't feel you have all of the knowledge and all of the experience, then it can seem really overwhelming to take it on. So as a side note, I wanted to mention this concept to you. My kids go to a school where the owner of the school and the principal, it's the same person, (laughs) he actually calls himself the school conductor and he uses this term conductor quite interchangeably and very intentionally to describe how he sees his role at the school because conductor actually has different meanings in different contexts, the word conductor itself. Now, first, as and this is this is how he talks about it. He says, as the conductor of an orchestra, it's all about helping all the mus- musicians to play their part and to sound their best as they work together for a holistic effect. Next, as the conductor on a bus who guides the journey and keeps everyone safe and travels along the journey with them. And lastly, as the conductor of electricity, to keep that flow of energy happening as needed and and keep it going to where it's needing, needing to go. I actually think that this is a great analogy for you as the homeowner in project managing your project. This is actually the kind of project management I'd encourage you to think that you'll be doing. You'll be bringing together the right people to fulfill their roles and responsibilities to the best of their abilities and work together fantastically as a team. You're going to be steering the bus in the right direction towards your future home and you're going to be trying to keep everyone's legs and arms in along the way and travelling with them for the whole journey. And you're going to be the one who keeps the momentum and the flow of energy going because ultimately it's your goal, your vision and your future. Being a great project manager in your own project, that actually enables you to show up as your future home's biggest advocate and ambassador. And this is awesome because at the end of the day, it's your home that you're creating. I really hope that this episode has been helpful for thinking about how your role in project management could work in your project and how you could be a good one. This is it for episode 222 and my update on one of year two's most listened to episodes. I actually think it was the most listened to episode in year two of the Get It Right podcast. Make sure you tune into the next episode because I'm going to be rebooting years uh, three's most listened to episode. And it might surprise you actually. Now, all the links for this episode, which there are a lot, 
There's a full downloadable PDF transcript. I've got all of that available for you at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 222. So that's the numbers 222. Um, make sure you grab it. There's, as I said, lots of extra links in this episode's notes. Um, you can check all of that out. I know they're going to be super helpful for you. You can file it away and review it as you need to later on. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.